0: This is Equip and
1: Engage, a podcast by Subsplash, exploring how ministry, technology, and innovation come together to equip churches around the world to engage their communities.
2: Hey everyone, welcome to Equip and Engage. I'm Chris Elliott, part of our behind-the-scenes team that produces the podcast, and I'm sitting virtually next to Nick Bogardis. Nick, how's it going?
0: Uh, it's going great, Chris. Great to be here. Love these conversations, especially with guests like Mark Sayers.
2: Yes, same. I am incredibly, incredibly excited for today's episode. Our, our guest, Mark Sayers, is senior leader at Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. And beyond his local ministry, he's probably best known for just incisive cultural commentary offered from within a Christian worldview. In fact, listening to his podcast with John Mark Comer, this culture moment has been, mm-hmm. without a doubt, one of the most formative experiences of my adult life, like not exaggerating, it's yeah. that incredible. Yeah. And you got to sit down sit down with Mark Sayers in this candid and profound conversation about how the ministry of the local church has dramatically changed mm-hmm. since the onset of the pandemic, how culture is the whole has shifted and even how both are continuing to evolve. So what are we in for today?
0: Well, we're gonna release this interview in two parts. In the first, we'll talk about how our globalized culture is in this gray zone, as we leave behind the comforts of the last era and, trans- and transition through this wilderness into a new, decentralized, digitized world. And then next time, we're gonna look at how Christianity, discipleship, and the gospel offer totally unique solutions to these set of challenges.
2: And I'm so, so looking forward to this. And I think Mark is one of the most important voices in these conversations right now. So should we dive right in? Absolutely. Let's do it.
0: Mark, welcome to the podcast. It's really great to see you again.
2: Uh, great to be here.
0: All right. So we're going to talk about um, the experience that so many church leaders and pastors have had in the last two years, and particularly maybe some uh, some ways they can lead uh, forward through such a challenging time. So I would like to start kind of looking at m- maybe some Uh, assumptions we might have had coming into this pandemic Um, because we spent a lot of time talking about what's happened the last two years it's it's really easy to forget what life was like before we spent so much time focused on this urgent it's it's helpful to kind of zoom out a little bit so the reality is there was a pre-covid ministry and now there's going to be a post-covid ministry and those two things are those are two very different paradigms so I'd love to hear from from you. What trajectory do you think the church, kind of, I mean, let's let's call it the Western Church, was on before COVID, and where would we be today if COVID hadn't have happened? Do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I talk about uh, the virus before the virus, and <laughs> like a lot of my work before COVID came was trying to convince people. I guess, the challenge of post-Christianity that was coming and the way yeah. that a little bit we were like a frog in a kettle and the temperature was mm-hmm. slowly rising. And so yeah. you could see all these problems, but almost I felt like you're trying to convince people. Now I think probably sort of, I don't know, from 2015 to 2019, people started to get it more as they saw yeah. some changes in the world around, um, I guess, ethics and politics and stuff like that. Um, but I think it really, uh, COVID is the end of an era. So it's, it's, a, it's an event in of itself. But really, if you look at the world from probably 1989 to 2019, it was this sort of belief the world was getting more comfortable, it was getting more globalized, cheap international travel, better coffee shops, every second major city had a a Uniqlo and a H&M store. And so it was this sort of like, there's this really comfortable world and the church was trying to respond to that. So we were trying to respond, how to be the church in this very individualistic, very consumer driven culture. And that was a huge challenge. it was a comfortable challenge. I found myself comfortable. Like, <laughs> like, like I could go to London and use the same Uber app and yeah, go to Uniqlo and buy a shirt and have a, yeah. I could literally go to London and find Australian style coffee shops. Like, um, and so this world was almost, I think, fooling us a little bit that, Hey, just, just keep doing what you're doing. It's going to keep working, but it wasn't working. People were coming less and less. Uh, you know, uh, people's I think hearts were drifting. Many people's hearts were drifting. So I think there was a, a virus emerging before the virus. Hmm.
0: So do you think this was an interruption or a bookend?
1: I think it's 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 a bookend. Um, Interesting. I, I feel like it's like if you look at history, there's eras, and eras are containers that we we use to describe an era. We talk about the Victorian mm-hmm. era or the American mm-hmm. century. They're, they're ways we describe a certain mood and certain values and beliefs and even figures and events that happen in a, in a particular historical period. And then there's these weird in-between zones where everything's changing. And I'm, I'm using yeah. the term grey zones, which is like an overlaps. So like the last era, like it doesn't happen like Rome ends and then the Dark Ages begin three days later. Like right. there's real weird overlap. And I think we're actually living in an overlap. So people said to me, oh, what's the new era? I'm like, I don't know. Like mm-hmm. you can almost, it's like the sun setting and appearing on two different horizons at the same time. Like it's rising and setting. Mm-hmm. And so it's confusing. So there's bits from the old era that's still here, but then we can see new things emerging. So I think we're actually in this really weird in-between space. And what's confusing about in-between spaces is, there's no rules. There's no markers. It's very disorientating. Um, so I think we're in a transitional state. And, and you know, there's a quote I'm using a lot by the Indian novelist Arundhati Roy says, pandemics are portals between worlds. And I think that's, that's what we've been in.
0: Interesting. Um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, Andy Crouch made a kind of prediction that the COVID era would either be a blizzard, a winter or an ice age. And now, you know, two years later, it's kind of clear that we're looking this closer to being, I think, an ice age more more than anything else. Um, What have you seen in the last 18 months?
1: Yeah, I think the word I would use is dynamic. Like, I think it's non-linear. We're very used to the idea of linear things and we can predict. And it's really easy to plan when you know what's going to happen. Um, But you find this thing where it's interesting throughout the pandemic, there's been this news article. So I remember there was a news article saying how is India the success story of the pandemic? They don't seem to be as hit as hard as like Europe and America. And then mm-hmm. uh, nine months later, India is the epicenter. Um, you know, people talked about Vietnam and the success happening in Vietnam. And then Delta comes in Vietnam struggling with an outbreak. You know, Australia, New Zealand had this COVID zero approach, and we were extremely successful. You know, the cities like Canberra, a city which is you know, about an hour above me on, on the plane. Um, they didn't have a case for something like three, 400 days. Um, but then Delta comes and it's a game changer. And, you know, uh, so, you know, this, there's places at the moment, you know, you're looking at the really highly vaccinated countries like uh, Portugal and Denmark, i Am mean, doing well? Australia's about to get there. We're about to hit some, we could possibly become the most vaccinated uh, country in the world. But then part of me is like, I, I'm, I'm now hesitant from declaring victory. It's like anytime anyone declares victory in COVID, it's a game changer. I mean, we could have, I mean, the scientists are telling us that variants can emerge. There could be a new variant emerge, you know, that changes the script again. So I see it as this dynamic thing, which it's it's almost like I think we'll we'll, we'll determine whether it's a blizzard or winter or an ice age. I think it's a helpful way of looking at. Mm-hmm. But maybe we'll determine that in ten years when we mm-hmm. look back and go, okay, that's what it was. But I think that yeah, yeah I, I just see it as continually dynamic.
0: Okay, that's helpful. You know, um, you know, kind of something you said a, a minute ago. Whether we think of it as an interruption or uh, a bookend is helpful because I think sometimes like an interruption to us can we can respond sometimes with you know resentment or anger, whereas like a bookend, you might be able to respond with grief, but also some closure, you know? Um, and for you describing it as a, like a gray, do you call it a gray area or a gray zone? Gray zone, zone. yeah. Gray, gray zone. That That's really helpful because again, it, it orients us of like, mm. um, we're in this place of transition. And you mentioned a marker of like, there's no rules mm. um, and maybe it's a portal. Um, mm. I think a question a lot of, uh, church leaders are feeling is like, how do we live when there's no rules mm. and I'm in a portal and I don't know where it's leading, like mm. what, sh- how should they be thinking about this?
1: Mm. Well, the sort of, the, the, the metaphor, um, I, I was watching in the midst of the pandemic, I was watching the old movie, i would seen it years before the third man, um, with Orson mm-hmm. Welles and mm-hmm. it's in Vienna, but Vienna is this gray zone. So the war's ended but then like okay. half the city's blown up, but then there's beautiful buildings. There's people who are like, who are good, but now doing crime. And it's this in-between space. And I remember thinking this like it just captured this old movie one night captured what it felt like being a leader in, um, in, in the pandemic, this gray zone. And then I began to think, okay, so what's the biblical analogy here? And I think it's the wilderness. And I began to just read more and more scripture, see this theme of the wilderness. And I realized it's different to lead in the promised land than it is in the wilderness. You know, you look mm-hmm. how Moses is leading in the wilderness, and his, his people are often turning against him. <laughs> I'm sure many people mm-hmm. watching might, you know, can identify with that. There's division. Yeah. Um, people yeah, are questioning. At one point, they want to get out of Egypt. Then they want to go back to Egypt. So there's this sense of, we want to go back to what was before. And mm-hmm. there's this great dependency. So, like I said, I began to ask the question: How does God use the wilderness? And you realize that he uses mm-hmm. the wilderness to form us. Now I sort of moved initially. I was looking at Moses and then I began to look at David and I began to realize that David's formation as, you know, one of the great Kings of Israel, if not the greatest, you know, Jesus, the King, of the Jews, obviously comes after but like the great, the great leader of Israel, his formation happens in the wilderness. The Psalms come mm-hmm. from the wilderness, the lessons mm-hmm. of the wilderness. He must remember in the palace. And so I feel like we're in a David moment for leaders. Like this is this moment where leaders are being formed. We can't rely on stuff. I've got a, I've, you can't say it obviously, but I've got a planner that I bought for 2021 on my wall and it's empty. I just like, I bought it like, you know, cause I'd order one every year and I'm not written on it cause like, I don't know what's coming. And so yeah. all these things that I unintentionally realized that I, I relied on programs, prediction, planning, being able to go where I want to go when I want to go there. Um, mm-hmm. I can't predict. I can't uh, uh, put my hope in them. I've mm-hmm. trusted God more in the last two years, and that's something that happens mm-hmm. in the wilderness. You know, they get manna, mm-hmm. so they have to their daily bread. So I think there's a great formation that's happening for leaders. So there is mm-hmm. the thing of how do you lead. But the question I would first ask is, what is God doing in you? And mm-hmm. I see this gray zone as perhaps the preparation wilderness, just as David, as the shepherd boy, was fighting off bears and lions in the wilderness. He then uses those skills to defeat Goliath. So what if actually the lessons we're learning now is for the next era, which we don't know what it is, but God's actually training us for what's to come.
0: Yeah. So that's great. And um, I think there's a book that needs to be written there on leading through the wilderness, Uh, Mark. I don't want to...
1: Well, it's coming. I don't want to
0: add something. I don't want to add anything to your empty calendar, but (laughs) that could be a really helpful resource. Um, I think... I'm sure that you've heard this in your conversations with pastors um, in your network and around the world. I've certainly heard it through our networks of leading in the wilderness requires an endurance that the that the pre-COVID comfort didn't require. Yes, And so I think your question of um, what is God forming in me and in us, I think is a really important question. How do you think church leaders can maybe leverage that question or other perspectives like it to have endurance in the midst of the wilderness because my my inclination in the wilderness is to go how much longer yes um and so how how can how can leaders reorient themselves is that question's great any Mm. other ideas you have
1: Mm. i realized that what we were in was a comfort zone I didn't realize it was a comfort zone. If you talk to me in 2018, they're mm-hmm. like, man, ministry's hard. And there was challenges, you know, as, as many leaders you're facing, challenges. But I didn't realize how much of a comfort zone it was. And it's really interesting. I became, I thought, is a gray zone something which gets you out of a comfort zone? And I think also like lots of leaders have been raised and particularly I think leaders perhaps, I don't know, under 50 or something have been raised in a time where if it doesn't feel comfortable or it feels uncomfortable, something's wrong and something's wrong mm-hmm. with you when for most of church history, it's been uncomfortable. And in like places in the world, it's really uncomfortable. And I think there's been a few times where, you know, I I had this moment where, you know, I was very philosophically against um, digital church, didn't want to do it. And um, when we first went online, I remembered back to a meeting I had about four months earlier with a ministry who's reaching out to Persian people across the world. And I just had this like I struck, because I was sitting with these people they explained this ministry. We have, we have Iranian Persian people who come to our church. There's refugees mm-hmm. in Melbourne. And in the last 10 years, more Persians have come to Christ than in the last 10 centuries. And so watching how they do this is obviously there's Persians in Afghanistan in Iran and throughout the Middle East, Turkey, these places have been mm-hmm. displaced. And yeah. they were running these worship things out of London, filming them, like about you know, eight people in a, in a circle. Someone would then preach on camera. And it just dawned on me that what I'd seen five months earlier was actually now my reality. And Mm -hmm. I was looking at all the limitations. And I felt God say, Mark, Mm -hmm. yes, you're limited, but I'm using this technology for these Persian people to do a revival. I mean, literally what's happening with Persian people is one of the closest things happening to a revival currently in the world. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. for me, I began to try and then use that language with my people. How is, okay, yes, we can't use what we can use at this time. My, my old boss and um, friend, Alan Hirsch, had a great thing he said, where he said, if you want to teach someone to play chess well, teach them to play without the queen on the, de- on the deck. And he said, for us at this moment, services and programs are our queen, and God's mm-hmm. removed it for a period, so we can learn how the mm-hmm. other pieces play. And that just mm-hmm. reframed. Those two things absolutely reframed it for me. But then what I realized mm-hmm. is also helping me say that to my... My congregation as well some of mm-hmm. you are having an intense period of so we've been in a, a quite stringent lockdown uh, in melbourne mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. we had curfews and curfew comes up on thursday people in my city for the last 18 months more have had we've had over a year in lockdown can't go more than three miles very restricted um some people are, are with houses filled with kids doing homeschool and they're absolutely burnt out others are super lonely living alone saying to people, this is temporary, just as what have I learned? What, what's the queen for me was services. What's the queen mm-hmm. for them? Maybe it's friends. But how can God turn mm-hmm. your house now into a place of worship? How do you go deeper with God? For you realizing that you can't be the super parent who's getting the kids to every sport and achieving, and you can't achieve. You can't achieve in your work. You're not achieving in homeschool. What's God teaching mm-hmm. us through this? So I think it's, a, it's yeah. a paradigm shift that we're being led into at this point in time.
0: That's really good. And I love the picture of the Persian church doing that because it, they're doing church for exiles, which is what you're saying, like your current reality is, right? How can we mm-hmm. minister and lead people who are in like restrictive exile? Um, so that, that actually leads really well into my next question. Um, because, you know, you mentioned your, your pre-COVID work was trying to help people see the challenge of being Christians in a post-Christian world. And you were trying to wake people up to that. Um But now in COVID moving in, you know, through this gray zone Mm -hmm. into uh, post-COVID, the unique challenge may be, um, at least what we're seeing, uh, pastors not just having to exist in a post-Christian world, but having to exist in two realms at the same time, simultaneously in person and online, um, Mm. especially in those places that have opened up, right? Um, Mm. I mean, how do you see pastors navigating these tensions well? Mm. Um, what's working, what's not as Mm. they're navigating those two realms.
1: Yeah. So I I thought a lot about this and I I think it's like, this is how people are living now. So, um, people live in, in person and online. So in 2019, that's how your average person was living. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I talked to, I've got a friend who lives in Europe. I talk to him every day on text, um, more than I talk to people in my street. And I couldn't have done that 20 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. so I, we all lived that reality. So your average person in the congregation was already living that reality. It's more like the mm-hmm. pandemic moved church into that reality. So every human at the moment mm-hmm. is going to have to work out. Facebook currently, uh, is spending huge amounts of money building a metaverse. Other, 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 um, companies are doing this as well, which is like an all immersive internet where yeah. Yeah, you're on Facebook, but you're also playing Fortnite, Plus you're watching the NBA plus you're buying something on eBay and it's all in one world possibly with VR. And so, uh, I think we have to learn how to traverse these two worlds. Now the importance Mm -hmm. of what we can do online and its limitations and also the importance of in-person as well. I think it's, it's almost been this dualistic thing of like one versus the other, the future, whether we like it or not, is going to be these two worlds. How do we as disciples live in this reality? Um, I think that's the first question. So this is a training. I think it's not a pause button where, where people like pause and we did digital for a mm. while and we get back to it. Now there are yeah. churches, I know. I, I know there were people who are absolutely bullish when the pandemic hit, like digital's the future. Who now 18 months are in and go, man, this is terrible. i <laughs> come over it. We've realized the importance. I saw one church, um, which was really pushing into digital at in the beginning. And then it was fascinating. I saw like about three weeks ago, they like, please come back to church. So it's gonna look different in different areas. It's gonna look different culturally as well, um, you know? And, uh, and look different geographically i think one of the big things that the pandemic has shown us is i used to talk about western culture the pandemic's shown me how not only just countries are different from each other but even states and regions are different Mm -hmm. as well so i think it's teaching us to be good missiologists to use that term to look at the culture look at the environment Mm -hmm. what's the culture of your city the area of the city that you're in but also what's the culture of the online world that you're now going to be relating Mm -hmm. to Um, I think this, this is, again, this is training for us to traverse all those worlds, to be gospel ambassadors in all those places.
0: Oh man. You talk about the metaverse and I was talking to, uh, my brother and a friend about this last week and you just, uh, what could possibly go wrong to (laughs) transport everybody to uh, an entirely digital life, man. Um, it's interesting. I was, um, I was listening to an interview with uh, I think his name's Jaron Lanier. Are you yes. familiar with him at all? Yes. Yeah. So, um, one of the guys who invented the internet. Um, I was listening to him on a plane ride two days ago, and he was talking about how um, centralization uh, leads to basically homogenization, and that decentralization and locality leads to diversity and creativity and all those things. Like so, his example was, um, you know, you go to an Airbnb. Any a successful Airbnb anywhere in the world, it probably has like the same like macrame wall hanging or something mm-hmm. like that. Like um, when when our interactions with the world around us or the digital world around us are mediated by huge entities, it, it squashes mm-hmm. diversity and, and creativity. Um, have you seen that? Do you still I guess do you see that as a risk for churches that are trying to navigate these mm-hmm. two realms and how can we handle that well?
1: Yes. Oh, this is one of the big things I'm researching at the moment, and awesome. and reading re- re- on this. And so, one way I'd say is like if you look at the last era. So we're in a grey zone. Mm-hmm. The last era was the centralized era. I will put it from I push it back to even this end of Second World War, and it was the yeah. American century, and it was about the yeah. centralization of power in America, and it was about an American-led globalisation. But it's not just about America. It was also about Detroit, was where the cars were built, um, yeah. Hollywood was where the movies were made. Um, basketball is an international sport, but it's played in the NBA. So it's all centralization and that represented the church as well. We had a centralization of organization around big ministries, big churches, and often a key leader at the top. The energy in the world now is decentralizing and history goes through these. It's almost like breathing in out the, um, you know, the dark ages was decentralized. Rome was centralization, dark ages, decentralization, medieval period, back into the center in the church the Reformation decentralization. And we're, we've been like this, but it's been coming undone probably since the 60s or 70s, but the pandemic just mm-hmm. So we're in this decentralized world now, and that's also happening in churches. So part of the polarization, the difference of opinions, the fact that people are not just going to come and listen to what the pastor says, yes, that's mm-hmm. about a bunch of stuff happening in the church, but that is happening in every organization. Like decentralization is yeah. hitting everywhere. And I think what's happening with the metaverse and these things is nations, corporations are freaking out about the decentralization and they're trying to capture it. So they're trying to like, no longer it's about controlling the institution, it's about controlling the network. China is building a network, Belt and Road's a network that <laughs> it's controlling and it's digital stuff. So they get this. Um, so that energy that everyone's feeling is power draining away from the center outwards. Now, what's better? I, I'm, I'm agnostic on it's not centralized is right. And decentralized is bad. They both have Mm -hmm. problems and, and, you know, things, the answer is Jesus and the coming kingdom of God. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's recognizing that we are living in a decentralized moment. And I think that radically changes how churches operate, whether we like it or not. And that's partially what we're living through.
0: Hmm. I, I, so I feel you on the decentralization of, uh, power, uh, I'm curious, what about like the authoritarian bents that we're all kind of experiencing on both sides of the spectrum, right? Like because the the authoritarians have an inclination towards centralization, right? Yes. Um how do we make sense of that in such an exhale?
1: It's 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 a it's a panic. <laughs> and um uh you know, mm. I I saw this um What's really interesting is you've got multiple, um, so for example, if, if one person is in control and everyone's following the rules, you don't notice control. So in a sense, like you had this moment when communism fell and everyone's just moving towards this globalization, no one questioned anything. You've now got all these poles. So what happens is in networks, networks disperse and then new hierarchies begin. So what happens is it's like there's a dispersal and then new power centers begin, but they're competing. So yep. we now have in the world, we've got, You know, we've gone from America to the rise of China. China just fired a hypersonic weapon and America's looking at this going, oh my goodness, like what's going on here? It's it's an alternate power source, but there's the rise of Turkey. Uh, There's, you know, the rise of the EU, Um, Brazil, South Africa. There's all these different countries coming into the world. India. So it's it's competitive, but we also see that in Mm. social media. Um, And what I find interesting is everyone in the world, conservatives are deeply afraid that there is a progressive authoritarian strike. The progressives are deeply afraid that there's a rising conservative authoritarian strike. I'm talking to people over the world. I'm talking to people in Europe, they feel this. You talk to people in yeah. India, they're concerned. Like, so this is happening everywhere, that the cultural upset, if you like, or disquiet is actually because we feel the power shifting around. So yes, there's definite return to authority. My read is I'm not worried about an authoritarian rise because I just think they can't pay it off, pull it off. The, the, I saw this thing the other day about China, I read a lot about China, Australian reporters did this thing of life in China, and they had all these university students who have to now do these military drills in year one and wear uniforms. And what was fascinating is it's frightening, but then you're watching them and they're just chewing gum and like they interview interviewing them like, we hate this, we're not even trying. And I just thought, man, this is gonna be really hard. So you're trying to do authoritarianism in an increasingly digitized individual decentralizing world.
2: It is amazing how Mark is able to put words to exactly what so many of us are thinking and feeling. It's like, wow, so I'm not the only one seeing this and there's language for what I'm seeing around me. so cool. Nick, what are you most looking forward to in part two of this interview?
0: Well, in part two, I'm looking forward to two things uh, the first is Mark's answer to our question about the challenges that the church is going to face in the coming years um, yeah. he's one of the, the best thinkers um, I believe in in Western Christianity right now and so his insight on that is really helpful but also the unique opportunity that the gospel and Christianity as a worldview um, have in the face of those challenges is also incredibly helpful so I'm looking forward to those two things.
2: Yeah, it's going to be so, so good. And part two of our conversation with Mark Sayers is coming next week. So if you haven't already, subscribed to Equip and Engage. Make sure you do that now. We drop content like this multiple times every month, and it's all to encourage church leaders like you as you make an impact in your communities for the kingdom. We are honored at Subsplash to partner with thousands of ministries around the world, and we'd love to partner with you. Through technology we build just for churches. So to connect with our team, just visit subsplash.com slash go. That's subsplash.com slash G-O. Thanks for checking out Equip and Engage and we'll catch you next time.